Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. So thank you, Mr. Rob Susan, for just coming live right here in this house. We're grateful for uh, Brother Rob and uh, his great wife, Peggy. They did a great job with the Thrive Camp along with Noah and all of those who assisted. I wanted to say thank you to all of you. The Thrive Youth Camp was uh, truly a great time. We were glad that we could be outdoors and we could follow all the safety precautions. And Julie and I were able to visit on Friday night where the service was outside. It was a beautiful night. Uh, was the, the theme was all about God's love. There was a, a great message that really just engaged the students, and we were able to watch them as uh, they gave testimony to that afterward. It really was a fantastic, uh, terrific time. So thanks to all who uh, were part of it and participated. Even though we're in odd times, good things are happening. So we heard from Brother Rob live this morning, the word of the day, it's all about the way. We're going to begin this morning with a little illustration. The other day I was in front of my house doing a little thing on the lawn and a pickup truck went by and it went by slow and then backed up and there was a man and a woman in there and the lady put her head out the window and she asked for directions. I don't really live in a very complicated subdivision, but she just said, well, this street lead it back out to the main road. And I gave her good old fashioned directions because actually where I live on a corner and she could go either way. I said, well, you can go this way and you can go down and uh, you turn, turn and follow this way out of the subdivision. Or you could just head out the other way, but you're directed the wrong direction and you'll get there quicker. It was like back in the day. You ever get directions by landmark? Were you ever lost out in the country or somewhere and had to stop at a gas station? That's what we used to have to do. You're lost. Stop at the gas station. Ask for directions. And you get directions like this. Hey, go down the road till you see the picket fence and make a left. And then go until you see the yellow house and make a right. And you'll, you'll go up and you'll see the Howard Johnsons. And then you'll be back to the main roads. Things like that, right? So it was directions by landmark. And we used to get directions like that. And a landmark, a landmark's a, a basic form of what we call a waypoint. It's a, it's a spot along the route, uh, which has come to be known as a waypoint. Waypoints are locations, they're points along a, a route to a final destination. And now we've got, now we've got, Digital help. Oh, we don't need to, we don't need to turn at the yellow picket fence or whatever because we have digital GPS. We have these great, uh, global positioning satellite receivers we carry around in our hands and we rely on these GPS receivers, don't we? There's satellites, whole networks of them up in space and our receivers receive information from those satellites that 
Now they, these things do precise calculations and determine our location, longitude and latitude. And if you need directions, these devices, they'll calculate multiple routes to the same place. You've got to go to a destination, you'll get three or four different routes. And they'll, they use the waypoints of latitude and longitude. And I read an interesting article about aviators. I'm not a pilot. I don't know really much about it. Some of the pilots out here in the uh, congregation could probably school me a little bit. But I read this very interesting article about waypoints that aviators use. Aviators use uh, waypoints. They rely on them. And in aviation, these waypoints are fixed. And they're named. They name them. Each waypoint has a five-letter name. And some of them are just random num- random letters, random groups of letters. But what I found interesting was many of them, they reflect the surrounding area where a pilot might be flying into. So near Detroit, I, I, I was interested to learn, near Detroit, we have Piston as one of the waypoints, P-I-S-T-N. And the, uh, the article that was written by a man named Mark Van Honecker, a pilot, he, he wrote, Piston, surely for the basketball team who, whose name reflects the city's heritage of industry. The skies around Detroit also feature Motown, M-O-T-W-N, and Wonder, W-O-N-W-O-N-D-R, for Stevie Wonder, who was born in Michigan. That's pretty interesting. And pilots rely on it. It helps them remember as they come into certain cities. So in St. Louis, they have barbecue, B-A-R-B-Q. So pilots get accustomed to these waypoints. And uh, this article went on to say, the pilot's map of the world and the flight computers too is atomized into these waypoints. They are the smallest nuggets of aerial geography. And in some sense, the only such unit that matters once you leave the runway. They are the sky's audible currency of place. So I imagine it wouldn't be good for a pilot to miss one of the waypoints in the flight path because it's going to affect arrival at the final destination. Now, keep this little illustration in mind. Just keep it in mind as we get into the word of God. In the past weeks, If you've been here, if you've been listening online, you know that we have been considering the statements by Jesus which begin with, I am. The first message was about Jesus making a claim of divinity, a claim that he was God when he said, before Abraham was, I am. That's a claim to the divine name of God. Then, We talked about, I am in the Father. Jesus saying that, and again, he's equating himself with God. We talked about, I am the light. Jesus is the light of life, eternal life. And I am the bread. Those who had first heard Jesus say, I am the bread, they were concerned about feeding their bodies. But Jesus explained that He was the bread of life, not sustenance for the body, but food for the soul, life for the soul, eternal life. That's what it's all about with Jesus. Now this morning, another 
I am declaration by Jesus in the Gospel of John, where uh, these are given in detail. Today's setting, I want to just give you a little background to it. It was the evening of Jesus last night on earth. The evening he was arrested before he, he was crucified. John chapter 13 tells us that uh, prior to the evening's meal, Jesus showed his love for his disciples by washing their feet. And then he had his last supper with them. And he began to talk to them and he told them, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. And where I'm going, you can't come. And this troubled the disciples. And Peter spoke up. Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, said, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay my life down for you. And Jesus replied to him, will you really lay your life down for me? Truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, Peter, you will deny me. You'll disown me three times. Now, think about that. What, what kind of mood is this setting in the room? Can you imagine it? They had to be pretty heavy in the, in the room, very disheartening. Jesus saying, I'm leaving. You can't come. Peter, you can't follow me. No, uh-uh. As a matter of fact, you're going to disown me. You're going to deny knowing me three times. Now talk about being demoralized. This doesn't come across as a pep talk from the head coach, does it? You know, I can't picture there was high fives in the room and laughter and yeah, way to go. I imagine that rather the mood was pretty heavy. It was really gloomy. And of course, Jesus realized that. He realized that in the very next words recorded in the Gospel of John, after he told Peter, you're going to disown me, the very next words are John chapter 14, verse 1. And I want to read from verse 1 to verse 4. And how Jesus, how Jesus responded to this downtrodden mood. Jesus said, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. So Jesus attempted here to lift the mood, to raise the spirits of these depressed disciples. Now he's given them the pep talk. Here comes the pep talk from the head coach. And he told them he was going away. They couldn't follow immediately, right? But then he explained where he was going. He's going to his father's house. And he's not going to be gone forever. No, he said, I'm going to prepare for you. And if I go to prepare for you, I'm going to come back. And I'm going to come back and take you to be with me. Now, how great is that? What a promise. What a way to turn the, the, this down mood up. That is a great promise. 
And it should definitely raise lowly hearts. And that promise is not a localized, limited promise that was just made to those few disciples that were in the room there with Jesus. No, Scripture bears out that that is a promise that all of us who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior can take to heart. That's a promise for us too. Jesus has prepared a place for you. And he'll take you to be there with him. And that's fantastic. And Jesus had just said it. I'm preparing a place for you in my father's house. And it had to lift the spirit's eye, I can imagine. Wow, that this mood that had been so gloomy, it had to turn. Jesus is going to take us to this marvelous place. And he's going there before us and he's going to bring us there. But then, as, as the mood had to be changing and going up in the room, suddenly it seems like the conversation begins to stall out and even go, go back down. Jesus said, and you know the way to the place where I am going. Hold on, hold on. Not so fast, Jesus. Here's the reply. John 14, verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Thomas verbalized what I'm guessing the entire room of those followers of Jesus were thinking. What in the world is this guy talking about? What's Jesus? What does he mean? We don't know where he is going. And if we don't know where he's going, how, how in the world can we know how to get there? Boy, this is a roller coaster of a conversation, down and up, and now it seems to be crashing again. And Jesus responds to this question from Thomas, John 14, 6 and 7. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Wow. Now those are some great words. You don't know the way? Jesus declared I am the way. No one comes to God the Father Almighty except through me, through Jesus. In some of the other I am statements, Jesus, as I would mentioned, he declared his divinity. In this case, Jesus makes one of the foremost claims of Christianity, of our faith. And it's absolutely foundational and it's fundamental to all of the rest of what we believe, to all of the rest of our Christian faith. There is no other route. There is no other track. There's no other road to eternal life. There's no other path to heaven except by way of Jesus Christ. If you were here a few weeks ago, when this series began, as I mentioned earlier, the focus was Jesus just saying, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. 
That was in John chapter 8. And I talked to you about that being a claim by Jesus of divinity. He had claimed the sacred name of God, Jehovah. I am is the root in Hebrew to the word Jehovah. And Jesus was making this claim, I am, before the leaders of the Jewish temple. He claimed to be God because he is. He is equal to God. He is God. And the leaders did not like that claim, and they tried to stone Jesus right there on the spot. That was their response. They took it seriously. And I said, you need to settle this in your heart. It needs to be settled in your heart and in your spirit that Jesus is God. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a great philosopher. He's more than that, way more than that. He is God. And that has to be settled. Otherwise, you are going to stall out in your Christian faith. You're going to stumble. You have got to see Jesus as God Almighty. And now, this, this statement that he makes this morning, this too has got to be settled in your heart. There is no other way to eternal life. None other. No other way except through Jesus. Now, Jesus declared it. I am the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we're tempted by culture all the time to acquiesce to some other way, to some other route, to some other path. And there are claims. There's all kinds of claims to alternate roads, to to heaven, nirvana, whatever you want to talk, whatever you want to call it. Now, there are those who say, well, yes, there's one destination, but many routes. You know, like the GPS that'll give you, give you six ways to get to the same destination. Well, so it is with God. Jesus isn't the only way. He's just one way, but he's not the way. And it's not just the New Age religions that teach that and the culture that presses this. I came across an article written by a pastor. And this was the title. Is Jesus the only way to God? Now the pastor writes, I was raised in an evangelical Southern Baptist tradition. From my earliest days, I was taught that Jesus himself insisted, I am the way. No one comes to God except by me. Yet I raised this question early in life. Is Jesus the only way to God? But instead of dealing with it, I carried the question with me through college, through seminary, and 20 years as a pastor, I never publicly admitted to having doubts or questions. He goes on to write about wrestling with the questions. You know, what about the Muslims and the Buddhists and all the other faiths that people mostly are born into? You know, they're doomed by accident of birth to be out of heaven because they were raised as a Buddhist or whatever. Now, he went on to write, for someone who would say this about Buddhist monks, if only they knew my Jesus, they would be saved and go to heaven when they die. The pastor writes, what arrogance, what condescension, an exclusivist attitude. How dare you? How can you be so certain that we're right and they're wrong? So what if it turns out they're right and you're wrong? Christians 
and I include myself among them, have long misread and so misinterpreted the meaning of Jesus when he said, I am the way. We have mistakenly assumed Jesus was pointing to himself as the only way to the Father. Instead, he was saying that his way, that is, his life, his teachings, the way he thought and so lived, when followed, would result in an abundant eternal life. Today, when I'm asked, is Jesus the only way to God? My response is, he's my way. But is he the only way? I suspect our Baha'i friends have it right when they say, one mountain, many paths. Do any of us have the right to reject the truth in another tradition without first knowing the tradition and what it actually teaches? I found that learning the spiritual truth inherent in all pathways to a divine life, I discovered a greater richness in and appreciation for that of my own. So the culture denies Jesus. And even some who say, I am a Christian, and I am a Christian pastor, deny that Jesus is the only way to eternal life. We get pressed from all sides. But Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Settle that in your heart. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. That has to be settled in our heart. For this pastor, the question nagged him. Is Jesus the only way? And the answer was never, ever settled until the answer was no. Jesus is not the only way. But Jesus didn't tell the disciples that. He didn't tell his disciples he's one of many. He didn't say, follow my way to an abundant eternal life. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus was unequivocal. There's no equivocation here in his words. He was direct. He used absolute terms. No one comes. He didn't say some come to the Father through me and others come through other paths. No, he said no one comes to the Father except through me. And it isn't arrogant to say that. It isn't condescending or exclusionary to believe this truth. It's not intolerant to say there's one truth, Jesus, the truth, because we're not called to hold our faith over other people's heads. We're not called to, to, to be proud and arrogant and say, ha ha, we're going to heaven and you're going to hell. Where's that in the Bible? No, Jesus didn't teach brag about it. He said, go, go out there and talk to the lost. You know, this, this is what was being said to the students at Thrive Camp on Friday night. You know, go tell the others that, that are at school or you see on social media that are being rejected. Tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus said. He said, go out and share the good news. You know, go hold it over someone's head. Believing that Jesus is the only way and sharing it, well, that's compassionate. It's not condescending. Because we're sharing the good news. We're sharing that he so loved the world. He loved the world so much. What did he do? He gave his life. He gave his life. This is what we're sharing. Now think about that for a minute. Just, just let that sink in. 
Jesus gave his life. You know, think about this. It's just an hour or so after Jesus declared, I am the way. We fast forward just maybe an hour in time. Now picture Jesus in a garden and he's praying and he's sweating drops of blood and he's crying out to the father, father, let this cup pass. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus knew he was going to suffer and he knew he was going to suffer badly. It was going to be hard. He was going to be tortured and crucified and died. The night of the last supper, Jesus said, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You know, he had told his disciples more than once he was going to suffer and die. Now, why would Jesus do that if there was another way? Why would he do that if there was 15, 20, 100, 1,000 other paths? If there were other routes or roads or paths? If there was one mountain and many paths, could we really believe that Jesus would allow himself to be tortured and executed on a cross just so he could be another way? Just one out of many? I'm sorry, but I cannot accept that doesn't make any sense you know jesus death for sin is then rendered meaningless it's absolutely irrelevant it's unnecessary if there are other paths why would he go to the cross why would he pray father let this cup pass if his death wasn't really necessary you know he could have taught his disciples hey go the other way You know, you could take the wide road, you could take the medium road, you could take the narrow road, you can take any road. Because there's one mountain and many paths. No, there isn't. Don't believe that. And it's not arrogant. And it's not condescending. It's not intolerant to believe in one truth. You know, Jesus could have prayed, Father, I don't need to die. But that's not what he prayed. Jesus taught he is the one and the only way, the truth, the life, eternal life. And to make way for that eternal life, Jesus gave up his life. The Old Testament taught without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sins. The high priest of the Jews, once a year, he went into the center of the temple. It was called the most holy place. And he went through this thick curtain. He had to push this thick curtain aside. And he went in with the blood of an animal to be there in the center, in this place called the most holy place, with the blood to make atonement for sin. And this was all temporary. It needed to be repeated year after year. And it remained for Jesus. It remained for Jesus, who is the truth. He's the the substance of the Old Testament shadows. It remained for him to say, I am the way. I am the way. I'm going to give my life. And Jesus, by his death, he opened the gates of heaven. Now, Hebrews, this letter to the Hebrews, chapter 10, it, it explains this. I want to read to you a few verses, 19 to 22. It says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, not the temple anymore, not just the high priest. Brothers and sisters, all of us, 
since we have the confidence to enter the most holy place. How? By the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. He is the way. A new and living way. Opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. The cross of Christ. The cross of Jesus. It's the key that opens the door of eternal life. You know, we have confidence, it says, we have confidence to enter into the most holy place, not by this path or that path or or some religion that tells us to do these works or that works. No, we have have confidence to enter the the most holy place one way by the blood of Jesus, by the blood of Jesus. One way to heaven is, is through the curtain, it says, of Christ's body crucified for us. That's it. That's the only way. And it's remarkable. It's notable. Go read the old, the, the New Testament. Go read the Gospels and discover that at the time that Jesus died on the cross, that temple that separated the rest of, or that curtain in the temple that separated the rest of the temple from the most holy place, it was torn from top to bottom. And it was torn not by human hands. No. It was torn when Jesus Christ said, it's finished. And he died and gave up his spirit. And that that curtain was ripped clean wide open. And it shows us that every obstruction to our entrance into heaven, it was removed. Not by this path or that path or this road, but by the death of Jesus. So that now we can draw near to God and enter into his glory in full assurance with faith. There's only one waypoint. There's only one waypoint to eternal life. And it's necessary. And you can't miss it. You can't, you can't fly around it. You can't miss it. There's no other waypoints to the destination of eternal life. And that waypoint's got five letters. J-E-S-U-S. And I want to tell you, I'm not being arrogant. I'm not being condescending when I say, if Jesus isn't your waypoint... You're going the wrong way. You're not going to reach your intended destination. You intend nirvana. You intend perfect peace. You intend eternal life. You're not going to make it unless your waypoint is J-E-S-U-S. He is the one way, and he made that way possible by dying for you. There's no other path, and there isn't any other religion. There's no other faith where God himself became a a man who felt pain and literally suffered and died to atone for sin and make a way to be in sinless eternity. Only one did that. Only the way. J-E-S-U-S. Do you know him today? Let's stand as we close our service. And if that's not, if, if Jesus isn't, on, on your route, if he's not the waypoint that's given you your path to eternal life, make it so. Settle that in your heart. He died for you. He died for you. None else. There's no other path that you can take where the door's open by the living God who became a man to feel real pain and sacrifice 
to make atonement for sin. His name's Jesus. Let's pray as we close. Father God, Father God, I just pray if there's anyone here, anyone within my listening voice that doesn't know Jesus as their way to eternal life, God, I just pray that that, that heart would be pierced. And not, Lord, we're not being condescending. We're not being arrogant or intolerant when we desire for others to know Jesus as the way. We're not being rude when we say he is the truth and he's the only way and he's the one way and every other path is is leading to the wrong way, to to the wrong destination. God, we pray that anyone who is, who's, realizing that at this point would say, I want to turn off of my path. I want to turn off the road I've chosen. And I want to get right with Jesus. Lord, I just pray if there's any that are saying, I need to do that, God, that they would want their sin forgiven, that they would want to repent and turn. Lord, that you would receive that that sincerity and that genuine prayer, God, and help turn that one to the path of Christ, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you. Lord, thank you. And for those of us who are on that narrow way, and we have, we have realized Jesus is God, and he's our Savior, and he died for us, and he's the one and only way. But God, embolden us to share that. Help us to share the good news. Lord, never, ever may we be condescending or hold our faith over another's. God, no, put it on our hearts to see souls and to see them in need of knowing the way and the truth and the life. God bless everyone here. Bless everyone within my listening voice who's who's connecting digitally. God, I just pray that blessing on them. And Lord, any in here who who need a a touch of healing or, or divine intervention in any need, God, I pray that you would meet that need. Lord, We always ask expectantly because you you tell us to have faith. So we do, God. We ask in faith for you to bless, for you to touch, for you to heal, for you to deliver and bring to us, God, those wonderful testimonies of answered prayer. We thank you, God, in the name of our Lord, our Savior, the way and the truth and the life, Jesus. Amen. Amen.